episode 310 of the Global From Asia podcast. We are talking today about national security law in Hong Kong. Trying not to get political, talking more business positioning and uh, what you should do. Let's, Let's tune in. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you everybody for tuning in and choosing to download and listen to or stream or hopefully this works in WeChat. Sometimes the episodes don't make it into WeChat uh, for various reasons, but I, I think this should make it into the Chinese internet too. Um, we are a business podcast, and honestly, we started it as a Hong Kong business podcast. I mentioned it in the interview, Global From Asia had, for the first, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, 30 shows, was purely Hong Kong business, corporate banking, trading from Hong Kong, etc. And uh, over the years, it has evolved, but we still have a lot of people interested in, you know, Hong Kong business. I still use my Hong Kong business for my operations, majority of it. Uh, I'm a partner in a CPA firm, Unipro. A lot of you might be using that, thank you for that. Uh, We also have many of you using Hong Kong companies and uh, we all wonder, I mean, people have been asking me is, what should we do, what's gonna happen? We did have a private members call for GFA VIP called Offshore Justice to talk about this in in a private, non-recorded way. But I was really happy. I reconnected with Tarek. I've met him many, many years ago in the Hong Kong scene. And he's really special, very knowledgeable, deep into this whole financial and business world and American in, in Hong Kong quite over, over 10 years. And he, he gives us some practical insights as a business, business owner, right? We can get emotional. We can get political we're trying not to do that in these in any of these global formation shows, but this is a topic I think we must cover. We can't uh, really pass it over. We have kind of talked about some of the other Hong Kong tiers I called it a year or so ago about uh, yep yeah, uprising and the uh, issues. This is kind of another monument, you know. The national security laws passed. We don't know what's going to happen. We're recording this. Actually, I'm doing this intro on June fourth. Don't want to get political, but on June 4th, I'm recording this intro. The podcast will record on the 3rd of June. This show will go online and next week, what is that, June like 10th or so? And we'll see what the future holds, but Tarek gives us some really good insights. So let's tune in. Also, I'm going to keep the personal stuff. If you want to hear about my personal stuff or some other updates in the community, also some, some scams or some legal debates about previous uh, previous guests and some other uh, stuff about that. If you want to hear that after the interview, we'll, we'll talk about that. Let's tune into the, the meat of the episode. Do you enjoy these podcasts? Do you, I'm even, I'm amazed, you know, I'm a, I'm a user myself. We have an amazing content team making these shows seven years. I'm so proud and and uh and really amazed at our own team i i'm the guy I record i'm the guy doing interviews but besides that we have an amazing team making these podcasts we have clients we're helping make their podcasts and their blogs we are a content machine you know i do video blogs and we've been taking that amazing team 
and we've been extending that to, to people in our community at contentinvestments.com. We have various packages, and of course we can make custom packages. We, we do some high volume content for people. We do some kind of like just a few pieces of content a month or one-time shots. Check it out. It would support us, what we're doing here, contentinvestments.com. Okay, thank you everybody for choosing to listen to another Global From Asia podcast. Uh, I had the pleasure to meet Tarek many years ago. He's even on my Mike's blog, personal YouTube videos many years ago. And uh, we had a great little conversation about, you know, Hong Kong and Trump and Republicans and Democrats. That was a long time ago. And I, I always look to you as somebody with reason and kind of like more practical thinking. You are um, you're running the uh, Hong Kong-based investment advisor at GFM Asset Management. And, you know, you've also worked at SG in Hong Kong if I and other other investment firms in Toronto and London. So it's really it's really great to have you uh, share with us today, Tarek. How, how are you doing? Thank you, Michael. It's so great to be on. Yeah, I know. Um, You're asking me like some of the updates with the show, and I just I think it's it's something we should mention. You know, I used to if pe- people <laughs> noticed in the intro, it used to be welcome to the Global From Asia podcast. We're, we're running an international business from Hong Kong is broken down mm-hmm. and it's straight up actionable advice. That was the tagline. I, I used a Fiverr yeah. game, somebody, but I cut the Hong Kong like two years ago because uh, even then it was getting hard. The banking has been what's really been hard for a lot of yeah. our, our listener. You know, the audience here is, you know, we're these kind of, I don't know, it's like a mix of Amazon sellers, digital nomads, Westerners, just trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. We're, we're not political. We're not, you know, we're not like getting into the details of governments. We, we just try to make enough money to have a good life for ourselves, our families, spend time with our friends and people we like. So, um, you know, today it's really great to have you to give us some kind of like sense of this changes in Hong Kong in the year, the craziest year I can remember, 2020. So uh, before we get into it, do you want to give us a little bit more background about some of your, yourself and your experience? Sure, uh, exactly. Uh, well, thank you again for that uh, kind introduction. So as you mentioned, I do run a business here in Hong Kong. I've been here in Hong Kong myself for 10 years. Uh, perhaps maybe a little unlike uh, most of the audience, I run a financial services business. I run a regulated uh, investment management investment advisory firm uh, where I actually have two separate companies with two separate regulatory regimes, which allows me to compare them side by side. I have a uh, Type 9 licensed asset management firm based here in Hong Kong, mostly meant to serve individuals living and working in Hong Kong or other parts of Asia, uh, but very much based on Hong Kong accounts. And I know the challenges you're talking about with Hong Kong account opening. And then the other side of it is, of course, I have a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor, GFM Asset Management LLC, which is a U.S. entity which both serves Americans with IRAs and 401k accounts and 529 plans and all the U.S. tax compliance stuff that those of us who have to pay global tax on our worldwide income know all too well. And I realized I knew how to solve that part fairly well, but also serves foreign investors that want to invest in the United States and so need to open accounts in the United States. One of the strangest things that I don't think anyone would have predicted 10 years ago So a lot of the difficulty in opening accounts that you're talking about is due to FATCA and one of the responses to FATCA, which is CRS. Uh, And I've said several times on this national security bill, 
I've said FATCA and CRS will still make it far more difficult to do business in Hong Kong than the national security bill or any U.S. response that we're likely to see uh, to the security bill. I mean, that those are the pains that we've dealt with all along. You open up a company in Hong Kong. How long did it take you to open your last bank account here? Um, I mean, yeah. that's... Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky. I, I joked, uh, we have our members call just to plug our membership for GFA VIP. And I was talking to some of them yesterday. And I did it way long time ago when you could still walk into HSBC in shorts and a flip-flop with the brand new company documents and get a bank account in a day. That was 2008. <laughs> but uh, yeah, wow. those days are uh, over for sure. Um, well, and, and thinking of comparison, I mean, I, I try to think in Singapore, how long did it take me to open my last bank account in Singapore? I think the bit of the leg up they have there is their, their system in Accra, where you open up a new Singapore account when, and when they can see the account in Accra, there's certainly an advantage to that. Um, you know, and I know nothing irks people in Hong Kong more than being compared to Singapore, you know, every other time. But at the same time, too, when you compare it to the U.S., one of the latest platforms we onboarded to be able to open IRA accounts, they were tooting, well, you know, you're not going to take days to open an account. We can open an account here in 30 seconds. Uh, and so that's still the way things can work in the U.S. And, uh, you know, just the, that little bugbear about account opening. Why, why should it take so long here? But then, of course, what I look at is once you've got the account open, once you've got things set up, what are other things um, that make it di more difficult or easier to do business here? So what I first noticed when I came to Hong Kong, uh, filing my first tax return, getting my first driver's license, getting my visas, immigration. There is, if you've dealt with any of that on the other side going to the U.S., you know there's absolutely no comparison at all. I mean... Try getting your visa, work visa here in Hong Kong, usually in one month with a simple form with very little red tape or strings attached versus, you know, how long does it take to get permanent residency and what types of lawyers and fees do you have to do to try to get an H-1B or a green card or any of the other U.S. visas? That's one leg up I think the Hong Kong has always had. I also compare any time I've ever waited in the DMV or any time I've ever called the IRS in the United States versus my experience with IRD in Hong Kong. I just find a lot of things are far more straightforward here. Um, another example, which is one that I hope to not have to compare to too many places, is even, say, evicting a tenant. If you own any rental property and you happen to be a landlord in certain areas, uh, even though we don't like to have to you know, evict a tenant for various reasons, the fact is, here in Hong Kong, the procedures are fairly well written, fairly straightforward. Even once when I asked a lawyer, you know, do I need some help with this? And they said, well, actually, the Lands Tribunal has a very straightforward process. You follow it yourself, and it's pretty bulletproof. There's nothing we can do to really make it any better for you. Um, that, those are advantages I think Hong Kong has had, you know, well back through the colonial period, has continued to have since the handover. And I believe actually many of those advantages are likely to persist not just until 2047, but likely, likely past 2047. Um, the one thing I think many international observers forget is that Beijing is pretty smart. Um, you know, they were very clever for the past 30 years to make sure they did not follow the same path that the Soviet Union did. And, you know, you as somebody who does business in the mainland know very well that, you know, mainland China is anything but the former Soviet Union. I mean, many of us would love to invest in mainland China, um, you know, with far more enthusiasm than we would invest in, say, uh, Azerbaijan or, you know, certain other areas. Although some of those are looking to, to compete with Hong Kong as well. Georgia, for example, is posing themselves as a tax haven, trying to be an easier place to start companies uh, and so on as well. 
So lots of different tangents and lots of examples we could make. But I really try and look down at the details and say, what are the things that are actually easier for me to do here um, than to do in other places? And why would I want to do it here versus to say doing it in Singapore or doing it in Delaware? True, true. Yes, thanks for this. Uh, thanks for that. That was a lot of info for us and uh, appreciate, <laughs> appreciate it. Um, you know, I guess it was almost about a year since this, you know, keyword that might give me trouble on WeChat, uh, protests or, you know, this, um, you know, unre I guess unrest in Hong Kong. I think it's been about last summer, right? So we're uh, about a year. I don't want to, I can't remember the specific date, but I guess for the past year, there's been this uh, social unrest or, or uh, you know, for various reasons. Um, and now the big one is this whole national security law, which was put into place, or I don't even honestly, I just can't even say I understand exactly if it's finished or not, but I, I think it's been baby. I, I don't think, I don't think anyone does because I don't think the details are out yet. Yeah. I think nobody really knows, but I guess, you know, listeners and people in my circles are feeling like basically people feel like this is the end of Hong Kong as we know it. You know, everyone feels like, you know, this is the end. And it seems like from what you've said already that you feel like this is, this is uh, not really going to affect the business side of Hong Kong or the too much, right? Well, I think it really depends on what business you're in and especially what relationship you have with the mainland. I mean, I say for those of us who frequently cross the border and have frequently crossed the border for the past 10 years, we won't see any negative impact of this because if there were any national security implication to what we're doing, we would have seen it when we're on the other side of the border. True. Um, I think the biggest difference w will be to several people that I know here in Hong Kong who almost never cross the border. Um, you know, who, if anything, see the greater Bay Area and see greater integration uh, with business in the mainland as a threat rather than as an opportunity. That is by far the biggest difference, uh, you know, I see, um, you know, if we wanted to define anything in terms of the Hong Kong political spectrum, um, you know, it would, it would probably, probably be that. Then again, of course, there are a lot of other details and so on that I, I admit I don't know as much about. But the main thing that I've been trying to de describe to everyone is that it's not binary. Um, it's not as though, you know, Hong Kong was a, you know, free and easy place to do business in 2018 and it will not be in 2022. Um, it has to do with many, many, many different levels of it. Um, so certainly for somebody running a financial services business or goods trading business, um, I don't think the national security law is really going to have any impact at all. In fact, it might have a slightly positive impact if it reduces the chance that your store is going to be set on fire or have its windows smashed in or, you know, that you're going to be losing days of business because of, you know, bricks blockading your neighborhood. Um, you know, now that said, you know, the other side of it is people understand, okay, well, why are people doing that? What, you know, what are they really standing for? Who's really behind them? You know, and I don't know. I mean, I think like you and like many members of your audience, um, you know, I am trying my best to focus on business. One of the reasons I came out here was in a way to have a refreshing escape from politics. For the first nine years I lived in Hong Kong, I said Hong Kong was a refreshingly apolitical place. Like compared with being in New York or San Francisco or other places in the U.S. where you keep hearing, you know, oh, Trump this, Obama that. Uh, you know, here I felt people would be talking about, oh, how's your business doing? Are you making money in the property market? Where are you traveling this summer? 
what kind of watch are you buying? I mean, some of it may get a little bit in the superficial and materialistic, but at least it was fairly apolitical. And as I described earlier, and I've said many times, I've said I like the fact that Hong Kong was like the iPhone of political systems. Yeah. Sure, I couldn't install anything outside the App Store, but everything I installed here just ran and worked pretty well with no issues. Whereas the U.S. political system is like Microsoft Windows. Yes, go ahead, install whatever software you want, but that's going to come with viruses and blue screens and all of the uh, you know, IT um, features that, uh, that come with having the freedom to install whatever software you like. All right, this is this is great. Um, you know, like for me, when when I talk to people about Hong Kong and, and mainland and the you know the future of you know setting up companies and operating, you know, we all we always look to this date of twenty forty seven, and you know, like you've been mentioning a little bit of this has not been like a black or white. I guess mainland China has been over the years. I think that's why this uprising has been happening with the protests. Is they've been so slowly moving towards this integration. It wasn't like going to be a night switch in 2047 with this handover. Um, but I feel like, you know, you, you, we've been talking before this interview and you feel, um, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but you feel, you know, even in 2047, 2048, you know, still be able to do normal business uh, with, with uh, as we are now. Well, it depends how how the system is working at that time. And even when you talk about integrations, look at what's just happened in the past few years. And again, some people will see much more advantage to them than others. And a few of the physical manifestations of that that I'll point to are the high-speed rail coming into West Kowloon and the bridge to Macau and Zhuhai. Uh, yeah. Those have been two very real, very tangible, very physical examples we can see of how the greater Bay Area is, is integrating. Now, neither of them really has affected one country, two systems in any direct way. I mean, certainly there's been some uh, concern about having uh, mainland immigration officers right in West Kowloon Station so that when you get your passport stamped, you can get off at any of the stations in the mainland without having to go through a separate passport control. Those of us who use that high-speed rail on business have found it very, very convenient. Um, those who want to nitpick more about, well, what does the basic law or the Sino-British Joint Declaration really mean about you know, these few square feet of space in West Kowloon Station, which now effectively are being treated like they're part of the mainland? Um, you know, again, it really depends on which of those things con concern, concern you more. Now, I'm running a business here. I own a company here. I, you know, I invest here. I see the many different advantages or I see the many real differences for better or worse, which include, for example, a fully convertible currency. Over the past week, I've gotten lots and lots of questions about the Hong Kong dollar. Yeah. What is the future of the Hong Kong dollar? Or do you think we're going to see capital controls on the Hong Kong dollar or, uh, or so forth? Um, I mean, and you have to look at what, from Beijing's point of view, what is Hong Kong to them? What, why do they like to keep certain features of this system the way that it is? And if, let's say, for example, the UK or US had different constitutions or different setups or different historical accidents, might they almost wish they had some of these features as well? I often say for those who follow US politics, imagine how different US politics would be if the most deep blue, most democratically voting uh, cities, you know, New York City, San Francisco, and so forth like that, if they were special administrative regions, they got to set their own tax policy, their own immigration policy, they got to set their own policy in the way they wanted to, 
and the rest of the country, which tends to vote you know, very far red, very far right in, in their perspective, got to run their country in their way, but it was still under one system, say one mm -hmm. unified military. Um, you know, in a way, I'm painting a one country, two systems version of the United States. Wow. Imagine actually in a way how that would smooth out a lot of U.S. politics because each side would get what they want. And yeah. I've said the exact same thing about Brexit. Look at how the vote on Brexit was. You had London and a few other cities, especially parts of Scotland and so forth, voting to remain, and a lot of the rest of England voting to leave. Mm. What if the city of London were a special administrative region that got to set its own tax policy and especially its own immigration policy, where let's say other members of the EU could come and work in London, but not necessarily the rest of England? Mm. Um, that might have, again, made both sides happy. Yeah. And the, way, the reason that we have that here in Hong Kong was actually by historical accident. It was by the way that they chose to settle, you know, the end of colonialism in a way that worked for British businesses, that worked for the Chinese businesses that were here, that worked for the businesses here, that used it, um, you know, really as a center for, for the rest of Asia. And it was, in a way, a happy accident. So the way I would ask myself is, you know, if I were Beijing and I had this center here, which, which worked and actually overall made it easier, provided another outlet for doing business that is still within China, but is internationally respected, why on earth would you mess with it? Hmm. I mean, you know, and then if you ask about, say, the question of the national security law, you say, well, the only reason to have something like that is if you feel that there's a, a real part of it that, um, you know, is otherwise broken and, you know, and, and needs to be fixed. Um, so for me, and again, it depends what type of business you run. If you run a retail business that was vandalized by the civil unrest in Hong Kong last year, you would naturally want law enforcement or you would want, you know, the powers in charge to try and make sure that civil unrest doesn't disrupt your business anymore. Um, I know what some, you know, certain other businesses, when they're worried about things like information security, you know, let's say if they run... Uh, businesses both in the mainland and Hong Kong, and they have to have different information security policies because naturally there are different rules in the mainland and Hong Kong about things like personal data privacy and on whether you have to store customer data within Hong Kong or within mainland China, or can you use a data center down in Singapore to store customer records. Um, and I think one thing that you know I and many of your uh, viewers might agree on is we don't really like compliance. We understand why we have to do compliance, um, but it's not our favorite part of our business. You know, we would really like it where we know as straight as we can, what are the rules? You know, what do we have to do to make sure that we're running a, our business above board, that we're, you know, following everything that's required, that we're treating our customers fairly, and that we're, you know, running our business in an above board manner, and, you know, and just get on with it. Um, I think the main concern people have about any law from Beijing that would uh, apply to Hong Kong is will there be some rule, will there be some compliance risk that you know, I didn't have last year? Um, and really, unfortunately, the short answer is nobody, nobody knows. It's not yeah. just that I don't know and you don't know. The pundits that we hear on TV have no idea either. Yeah. Uh, the only way we'll find out is you know, five years from now, how many businesses are leaving? How many businesses, let's say, get in trouble or have an executive arrested or you know, have some compliance violation? I mean... Those are the real effects that I think we, we, will, we will only see over time. And when I talked earlier about integration, there are some ways you know quite well that we, we haven't integrated. I've got an account here in Hong Kong, but that's not the same as having an account in the mainland. When I go to the mainland and I try to use Alipay, that doesn't help me at all. 
because my Alipay here doesn't work up there. And when, when I come here and try to do anything at a bank in Hong Kong, they want paper. They want yeah. physical pieces of paper, which, you know, when was the last time you wrote a paper check in mainland China? Yes. You know, I, I still write two paper checks every month in Hong Kong j just to avoid a 50 Hong Kong dollar bank fee because they say, well, if you do it electronically, we have to charge you a fee. But if you write a paper check, there's no fee. I mean, those are the, those are the things that we wish Hong Kong would follow mainland China on. That is true. That is true for sure. Um, it's been fascinating. I know we, you have, we have limited time for today, but this, I think we've got to at least bring it up. You, you know, you, we're, I think mostly we've been talking about Beijing side, but I think the other fear now is the whole U.S. side, you know, the sanctions and taking, you know, now we're, now that this national security law has been put, kind of started to be put into motion, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but now there's the U.S. side and we don't know how they will treat Hong Kong or take away, you know, certain things. So I don't know if you want to at least touch on some of the thought process that you'd like to share with our business audience today. Well, I, I could certainly try my best, but I know it's so as, I, as, I, as I hope I've hinted a few times, I am much, much better as, as an investment analyst than I am as a political analyst, that I, I don't even like to pretend to be a, a political analyst on TV. But the way that I would try to, to game theory it, if I would, I would have to point out that it is an election year in the U.S., and that is very important in ways that we do not see from, from Beijing's side. Um, the fact that it is an election year in the U.S., and we have a few hot-button issues in the U.S. which are not unrelated to, to China right now. The one thing both political parties could seem to be able to agree on in the, this U.S. election 2020 right now is let's blame China for everything. You know, the coronavirus hit, you know, hit, hit the United States much harder than it hit Chinese cities. Let's blame China for that. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're having, you know, civil unrest in the U.S., you know, what have you. Much, much harder to tie that to China, but I'm sure somebody's going to try. <laughs> um, so overall, there is the, I feel, the need to show American voters that, that this administration or any challenging candidates, Joe Biden, what have you, are going to be tough in China on, in some way. Um, I think they benefit from the fact that most American voters probably don't know where Hong Kong is on a map. They yeah. probably don't know what one country, two systems even is. And as I've said several times, in the, the trade war between the U.S. and Beijing, Hong Kong is really just a sideshow. You know, we're not really caught in the middle of it. We're, we're a sideshow. We're an afterthought. Mm. It's a great place to come 90 days visa-free, sign your contract under a trusted legal system, you know, and so forth like that. But that only really affects those of us who do business here. Most American voters don't really know or care how, uh, how that works. So whatever the U.S. does, they're going to really care more about the optics than they are about the substance of it. So when Ted Cruz comes to Hong Kong and puts on a black shirt, he has no idea what he's talking about. He's just trying to tell his voters back home, oh, yeah, I'm standing up for democracy. Yeah, but they don't realize that Hong Kong never was a democracy. Mm. Um, you know, what you're really standing up for here, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, I believe many of those that have, that have put on black shirts are those who feel that greater unification with the mainland is a threat because those in the mainland um, generally have been advancing their skills faster. They still work for lower wages, but definitely they've seen more growth. And that mainland money has been coming into Hong Kong, making apartments more expensive, where many people living in Hong Kong under the age of 30 have been unable to, to afford apartments. And one thing I was talking about last year, 
why do we see nothing similar in Singapore? Does the HDB that provides um, some form of affordable housing to every single Singaporean not have anything to do with it? You know, I, I'm sure that, that has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, as, as much as people will say it's about, about political principles uh, one way or another. So back to what the U.S. is, li is likely to do. I think the U.S. is smart enough to know that a blunt instrument just against Hong Kong, which would have a negative impact against the 1,200 American businesses here in Hong Kong that employ about 100,000 people here in Hong Kong, none of which are Washington's true targets, is not the right thing that they're probably going to do. But they're probably going to want to show something like increased tariffs on Beijing, you know, or maybe freezing assets of certain officials that they can, you know, hang the name on. Maybe they'll they'll try something like that in a you know in a very very targeted fashion. Because I've said the the real extreme case, which I've been asked about, will the Federal Reserve or will the U.S. Treasury freeze the HKMA's assets and force the break of the Hong Kong dollar peg? I think that's very, very unlikely because it's very, very reckless. It makes absolutely no sense. It will do absolutely nothing to Beijing, but it will harm JP Morgan and Bank of America a hundred times more than it harms Chinese businesses. Okay. So it's, it's one of those things that you, you have to look at a, a few steps in. And uh, obviously that's a reason why you know, I'm not playing politics. I'm you know, trying to <laughs> I'm trying to focus on doing business. So yeah, great. I mean, we can. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like our listener too. We're just trying to make an educated guess as best we can to know what we should do moving forward. Um, yeah, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your willingness to share with us today. Um, and then I think the last part is, of course, how can you know? What do you do? How can people connect with you? Find you online? Um, Certainly. Well, one advantage uh, is that with a name like Tarek Denison, I'm probably the only one in the world. So if you yeah. can spell not my name, T-A-R-I-Q, last name Denison, D-E-N-N-I-S-O-N, you can find me pretty easily on Google or any other search engines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm also on both WeChat and Twitter as the Quant of Asia. So that's Quant, Q-U-A-N-T, of Asia. Uh, and you can, of course, find my website, gfmasset.com, or just Google G GFM Asset Management. That's good for me, asset management. Uh, that's, in a nutshell, uh, what I do. But, uh, yeah, one thing I'm never short on, for better or worse, is opinions. And uh, thank you very much for having me on and let me share my perspective for what it's worth. Yeah, I think it's great. We, you've been on my list to get on the show, and, I, you know, we've been chatting about all these uh, topics happening now, and it's, it's great to have your insights. Thanks again. Especially thinking on the blog, how random it was. I mean, you were really walking down the street. And I just saw you there with this big camera in your hand. Yeah. And you just said, hey, let's just hold out the camera and, uh, and do a quick video. I'm like, okay, well, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'll, um, I'll, I'll link it up on the show notes too. And of course, all your, uh, your various links too. So thanks again, Tark. Thanks a lot, Michael. Great speaking with you. Enjoy what you're listening to here. You want to get on the inside and in the circle with our private mastermind calls, our forum, special deals and access to amazing people. And of course, one of them being me. <laughs> I try my best to share with those members that want to contribute to what we're doing here. GFAVIP.com. It's got some amazing stuff. We actually was invested even more in, in the system, in the community. We have an amazing community manager actually she came back you know angelica's joined us again helping me out really appreciate her help she's worked with us in the past helping us keep these members happy and busy and there's so much to do and so much to grow hope to see you there gfavip.com thank you for choosing to listen 
Tarek was awesome. We also have a video version. I usually think in audio, but a lot of times we're into 2020 now. Man, can you believe it's been seven years of this podcast? So it was audio for a while. We try to do video when we can. So if you want to see Tarek and me in video, you can hop on over to YouTube and check that out. It'd be awesome if you could subscribe there or share this on your social media, whatever you prefer. Usually people are sharing this to people they know by email and to their friends. So that would be awesome too. I just hope you are all enjoying this podcast. And, you know, for us, as far as me and, and my Hong Kong agency, I'm shareholder in at Unipro with, with Ray. Uh, Ray is awesome. You know, we're not advising people to go too crazy right away. You know, some people are closing and leaving and and uh, maybe for whatever reasons. But uh, we're... we're we're still waiting and seeing, and if you do business with China or plan to do business with China, you know, Hong Kong will still be that that place to do that. So um, you make your own decisions, of course. We're here to try to give you the insights as best we can, and I hope you appreciate that. Some of the, uh, in the intro of this show, before the interview, I was going to talk about the personal stuff, some previous guest stuff, some updates as well, and... I'm deciding how to handle it, but there was a previous guest, uh, and I, you know, I had some com- feedback, I'll say, from listeners that felt this person is a not good business person. I've actually had this happen before with speakers at our events and even previous guests. It's it's really difficult because how, you know, how do you you know, it's not like I just interview anybody randomly. I, I meet people on events. I get introduced to people. I've been doing business myself for 20 years. That's crazy, actually. Man, 20 years. Uh, at least websites for 20 years. 16 years of uh, online business. And, uh, you know, but sometimes I guess there's there's issues with, you know, guests. And I can't control what people do. But there was there's some legal issue. There's... Uh, I think I'll maybe share names and other ideas, but you know, some people that are listening to this show did business or bought their course. I'm not even an affiliate. I didn't even know that they had a course when they were on the show. So they're a little bit upset at that person now, and there's some legal stuff happening. And uh, one is, you know, I, I didn't make any money off of that. You know, I, I almost kind of. I, I don't make much money off most of this stuff. So I, I do this stuff because I love to do it. And uh, I'm trying to help you guys out and connect with the world. And, you know, I always think about my death. And, you know, hopefully these shows can help people even when I'm dead. You know, that's why I like to kind of make stuff, create stuff, share stuff, make make people better, you know, improve the world. Um, you might not believe that or maybe you believe that. But, um, you know, I... I'm still thinking how to handle either that previous show. Some people say to delete it. Um, I don't like deleting content. I think that the, the, the show was amazing. I think that the content shared there was amazing. Um, so I'm thinking how to handle that and then how to in future handle requests and how to handle vetting people. And uh, But I think you guys understand. You got to do your own due diligence, right? I mean, when you buy anything on the internet or uh, from people... Um, not trying to say don't trust people I interview, but, uh, you know, there's, there's business, there's risk, um, and do your own due diligence. So 
we're thinking how to handle that here. I've been talking to the team, Alvin and Mindy and others, as well as some friends, but I just felt like I would at least bring this out after the interview. I don't think I gotta put a disclaimer on every show, but I think people understand, you know. I, I, uh, I'm a hyper networker. I try my best to know people to, you know, it's usually referral. Actually, even that person was referred to me, somebody I had trust with that I had already interviewed on this show that I had known a long time. Uh, I met, met that person in person. So, you know, it's, um, it's tricky, but I will move forward as we always need to do. And, uh, just appreciate you guys listening to this all the way till the end. You know, I'm still here in Shenyang, China. I'm kind of lonely. I, I'm thinking of some of you. I know some of the listeners. I'm thinking of you right now. You know, hopefully you're listening to this. If you can share this show, you know, it would be nice to get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more feedback from you guys and girls. I hope you enjoy these episodes. I hope you enjoy this content that we're creating. And I, uh, I'm gonna wrap it up at this. So thank you so much, GlobalFromAsia.com over and out. We got more amazing interviews already prepared for the coming weeks, weekly, Tuesday, 10 a.m. Hong Kong time. See you next week. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.